and welcome to Breaking the Panel, where we talk about the awesome sauce and not-so-awesome sauce of the week and what happens through it. I am your rock god of frustrated casting, Philip D. Keating. And with me, as always, is my hetero life mate, the soapbox GSTU himself, Paul Klotz. Hey, And the Dennis of Breaking the Panel, Chris Wisdom. Uh, I'm okay. It's Good. Most Good. Is, can they hear us now? I... Nope, because I'm muted. I am fucking... Are you kidding me? God Christ. I'm not doing it again. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's been a real great tech night, so uh, we're just going to get right into it. The podcast will pick it up. So, uh, How are you boys doing? Everyone good? Oh, we're great. <laughs> oh, this is... This is very enjoyable. <laughs> I think I'm going to go out after the show and get a carton of cigarettes and never return. <laughs> promises, promises. Yes, 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 indeed. So, all right, well, tech issues and muting aside, let's just fucking jump right into this shit show. So, uh, last week we were talking about Sonic the Hedgehog and uh, a little bit of Birds of Prey with them trying to remarket it. And uh, did it work, Paul? Well, yeah, according to CBR.com, not so much. Uh, Birds of Prey continues to uh, kind of underperform a little bit. And uh, we're, I'm not sure how much the rebranding is going to help them. Uh, if anything, like we talked about last week, it's probably going to add confusion. Yeah. Uh, but Sonic the Hedgehog came out this past weekend and actually is making headlines because it is the strongest performing video game film to come out to date with its opening weekend performance. It narrowly edged out Detective Pikachu's record for biggest opening weekend for a video game movie. Hmm. I'm hearing nothing but incredible things about Sonic. That makes me very happy. Yeah, me too. We talked about last week. (laughs) Me too. I'm Uh, so so happy. I've actually, I saw both films this weekend. Uh, coincidentally started with Sonic on Saturday uh, to I mentioned in host chat Sean and I walked into a sold out showing at like four o'clock on a Saturday so insane and I was like what and now granted our theater is now has the lounge seating so it's like it's not nearly as many seats as a traditional stadium seating theater might have but still sold out in the middle of the afternoon at my little theater in in middle of nowhere upstate new york i was surprised it was mostly kids which is to be expected uh like a lot of parents would like two three kids whatever uh which all of them were really well behaved though that was nice it was like the odd kids movie that wasn't a complete terror to sit through like deadpool man that was insane oh (laughs) seriously though like it's not a joke man both Deadpools, both times I went to see Deadpool in the theater, you could not believe how many people brought their kids. I'm like, this is not a, oh man, you people are so irresponsible. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and my parents helped me watch stuff like Predator and Aliens and whatnot, but I'm fine. It's, yeah, since the dog died, Kim and I can't have sex without the kids watching now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just no. need those eyeballs. Oh boy. <laughs> Get a goldfish. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so my my spoiler free short review on Sonic it, that I gave to our host chat was, it was fun. It was yeah, the happy. the big takeaway is that it was not a shit show. It was not. It was not a bad film. I'm not saying it's a great film. 
I think for me, like comparing it to Detective Pikachu, I thought Detective Pikachu was more fun for me because I think the Pokemon IP is a stronger IP to do this kind of film with. And I thought, uh, I forget the name of the lead actor from Detective Pikachu. I think he's great. Pikachu. Him paired with Ryan Reynolds was really solid. But Sonic was surprisingly good. Uh, Marston is not a bad actor, though he keeps doing this style of movie. I think this is like the second movie where he goes on a road trip with an animated animal. <laughs> uh, Interesting. There was a meme on Reddit. It was great. It had uh, like all of these kids movies that were like, Hollywood is obsessed with making kids movies where middle-aged white men go on road trips with animated animals hey man like 10 films where they're sitting in the car with the animated thing next to them it worked well in uh who framed oh. roger rabbit <laughs> that was one of them <laughs> so but yeah no it was it's a perfectly passable like if you're bringing your kids to this film you're gonna have a good time if you're a fan of the franchise uh there's obviously some throwback easter egg type stuff to make you laugh or you know what i mean uh, the interesting thing, and I think one of the th- reasons why people have been showing up for this film is Jim Carrey, right? That was the thing. Yep. His triumphant return to a comedic role. He was actually my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I was afraid of that. Uh, he pulled out a lot of the, the schlocky shtick, if you will, that he used to do 20 years ago. It's not bad. It's just, you know, Kurt actually brought up in chat. He said, um, do you like Jim Carrey? And I was like, you know what? 20 years ago, I did. 20 years ago, I thought, you know, Ace Ventura was groundbreaking. Both of them were fantastic. Uh, the mask was amazing. Like he did a lot of great stuff 20 years ago that was groundbreaking and like his physical comedy compares to none, you know, like he's in his own class, but that stuff was tired at least 15 years ago. Yeah. So today I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's Jim Carrey doing Jim Carrey things. It wasn't awful though. There were some good like one-liners and some, some setups and everything. But the point is, it's doing really well. And I think it's got that, I like to call it the Shrek formula of like, we have something that is spectacle and entertaining to children, but we have enough in-jokes and like just above the kids' head stuff to make the adults laugh and keep them entertained and them, you know, tapped in as well. And so, yeah, it, it hit all the notes. You got $10, Paul. Mm-hmm. Where where do you go? Do you do you see Sonic in theaters or do you see Bird, Birds of Prey in theaters? I think it depends on what you're I think it depends on what you want to accomplish. Uh I feel like Sonic was absolutely a film that I would probably have rather have seen on a streaming service if not for the fact that my roommate Sean is a super, Sonic super fan. Uh, like he's watched the the anime and read the comics and stuff. He loves that stuff. So that's part of why we went. But the other thing is what Chris said last week when they released their first trailer and we got to see the abomination that was the original animated model for Sonic. The community was like, please, God, no. Old Yeller that quickly. And they did. They, they changed the, the model. They spent a lot of money to go back in and reanimate the entire film and 
it looks way better and it it was worth it man having seen the film it was worth it the work that they did you could connect to sonic as a real character that was what was important you know just like in detective pikachu i could look at the, at pikachu and be like i can believe that he can move around the world and i can interact with him you know and he has the personality and that is being portrayed and everything and so yeah uh outside of that though i think birds of prey is probably a better big screen picture okay and you know so that's the whole thing but birds of prey uh as this article from cbr is pointing out has just been missing on every level because they didn't market at this film well they haven't focused they buried the lead birds of prey is not about the birds of prey it is a harley quinn movie like it's a it's a harley quinn story from beginning to end that happens to have the birds of prey tacked on it's essentially the origin film for the birds of prey but the birds of prey element doesn't become a big part of the film until the third act hmm. you know what I mean? so like interesting this is this is this birds of prey is about harley quinn coming to terms with the fact that her and joker have broken up and that she at first is not happy about it but she starts to realize she doesn't need him and she starts to see her place in the grand scheme of things and what she can do. Uh, the funny twist on that is that she uh, she sends a big tanker truck careening into the chemical plant where she jumped in the vat for him. And so that sent the message to the to all of Gotham like, oh, they're they're done. They broke up for real this time. And so that paints a target on her back because everybody in Gotham's like, well, Joker's not going to protect her anymore. Yeah. And so she's got people coming at her from every side for the entire film. And it's great. It's really super entertaining. It's really funny. Um, it's got a couple of moments that are pretty heartfelt. The supporting cast are all really solid. It's, and it's got, because of the way that they've decided to do Harley in the DC EU films, they really amp up that like cotton candy fireworks aspect of her visual design of like everything is you know a kaleidoscope of pastel and bright colors it's like everything's really tricked out in that regard and uh i was telling you guys before the show one of my favorite scenes probably the best scene in the whole movie for me is she goes into a police station at one point with a riot grenade launcher that she is loading with bean bag rounds and like it's all less than lethal stuff so she's shooting cops like point blank with like a beanbag in the face or a smoke canister that is popping like pink or purple smoke uh one of them had like slime goop a la nickelodeon you know like it was it was goofy stuff like that but it worked because she's kicking butt with this like ridiculous technique tool whatever you want to call it it totally fits her aesthetic and it was really entertaining to watch it was a fun scene and she did a there was a lot of fight choreography uh she did a lot and she didn't keep doing the thing that i hate that the cw shows do like with all the females and i think i talked about this in the past with all the women in action scenes in cw dc shows they're always doing the i grab your arm i jump up in the air and mount your body and do a judo like mid-air judo throw Mm -hmm. to throw you to the ground and they do it 
like rinse, repeat, jump up, throw somebody to the ground, jump up, throw somebody to the ground. They do it like five <laughs> times a fight. Spamming buttons. It's the yeah. most ridiculous thing. <laughs> they did not do that with Harley. I think she does it like once or twice, but it's not egregious. She does a lot of kicking and stuff, like using her like basically just like she does like, some actual like interesting technique stuff. It visually is impressive, but it is also believable that she's getting like she just like straight check kicks, you know, the one where you kick in front of you to push push somebody back she does that a whole bunch and i'm like damn because she's always wearing ridiculous footwear and stuff as well so the point is it's a solid film it was a fun film i really enjoyed it uh but it wasn't marketed well like so, aside from the marketing once you once you're in the theater did they utilize the birds of prey effectively or did they not necessarily need to be a part of the movie period were they were they underused were the characters character work done well team arc dynamic done well when it was there or i mean so, would it have benefited from the deadpool 2 x-force treatment it was kind of well it was a lot like that it was okay. well not the <laughs> not the throwing people in the wood chippers type thing uh so black canary is pretty much part of the main narrative throughout the whole film okay. uh because she sings in uh, black masks club and so like she's front and center in the narrative so she's an important part and she's a really interesting take on that character i really like the way it was done um huntress is kind of like a uh, she pops in and out a couple times and then she's in the third act not a huge part of the narrative didn't need to be she was totally fine um montoya is you know is the cop that's investigating black mask and is like oh it's mr s and like oh it's basically uh connecting all the dots and speaking of which ewan mcgregor awesome that dude i've never seen that dude do a film i didn't like he was great in this um his accent slips a couple times because he's doing an american accent and um it slips in a couple of scenes and i like that but because i always laugh when he breaks it a little bit yeah uh but yeah no he was great um yeah, it's the Birds of Prey were not the focus. And that is the, the like, don't call the movie fucking Birds of Prey when it's it was like Dawn of Justice, like Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. And it was like that as bad as that name was, it set up what was going on. Two acts of BVS was Batman versus Superman. And then the final act, the beginning of the Justice League comes together it's really <laughs> descriptive in an awful way in this film. It's like, it's birds of prey and the something emancipation of Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. Right. And it's like, but no, it really is Harley. Qu it should have been Harley Quinn and the birds of prey. That would be like calling Deadpool two X force. Right. And the continuing stories of Deadpool. Mm. Interesting. Well, they had a hard like a hard mountain to climb because I looked around the internet. I could only find about a handful of movies that have made more money week two than they did week one. So yeah, they kind of tripped themselves right out of the gate. Um, I'm going to read you some of these real quick, but uh, like the greatest showman, the producers in 05, um, another earlier or ones that I saw, let's see, La La Land made money, you know, more money on the week two. But a lot of these, uh, yeah, um, a lot of them, they just, uh, 
you know, don't ever recoup after, after falling, falling, you know, on that first week. Yeah. The early projections look like because birds of prey was a relatively low budget production, they're going to make their money back, but it's going to be a slow burn for them. This definitely hasn't been a, like a profit maker for them. No. So, no. well, that's really sad and unfortunate because Margot Robbie went hard at this like this she loved playing harley she cares about the character she wanted to keep telling harley stories and she's a big part of why this film got made mm-hmm. and yep. it sucks because i feel like this might be the end of the character but well we know she's in she's pretty focal in suicide squad too yeah, well, I, I keep I keep forgetting Suicide Squad two is coming out. I think that's gonna bomb hard though, unless unless the trailer is just like blows the doors off and it's like this is gonna be the best movie of all best movies ever. There's no way it bombs. Yeah, you've got you've, you've got, got a jilted James Gunn. Yeah, you have James uh, Gunn returning to a superhero movie. Um, plus that fucking cast, it's unbelievable that. To think that he's got a Wes Anderson cast going into a superhero <laughs> movie. I don't see it bombing. I just don't know that that's going to translate the box office success, though. I, I mean, the first Suicide Squad, you looked at that cast, you were like, this is a star studded cast. This is one of the. I mean, getting Will Smith to play Deadshot is like, what? On what planet does that actually happen? And then it bombed hard, you know? Like it, it, it made its money again, but yeah, but it's being written by James Gunn. That is, yeah. We'll, we'll see how the early previews come in. We'll see what the first trailer looks like. If it's gun firing on all cylinders, uh, it's just I think people. The well is poisoned, though, man. Like people are, people look at the screen and go, DC. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they've had they they have had their problems, but they've been kind of getting their shit together a little bit aquaman was really popular mm-hmm. wonder woman one was very popular uh i know the justice league kind of tumbled through the through the uh through the box office but um and this one the the birds of prey i mean they're they're still making enjoyably good movies yeah um, and i think that they're 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 realization that they can't do the mcu style of movie making and coming out and saying that publicly i think it's done nothing but help them potentially and i i don't know i we got wonder woman 2 coming out later on this year around july i believe so i hope it does well i really do um even though i'm not a fan but uh it's always good to have more competition um in any kind of media or or business yeah, I would like, to, sorry go ahead chris i, say, I would I would like to see it do well um but i don't know i think it's a cop-out on dc's part and it's it's translated to you phil by them saying they can't do things the Mar- they never tried to do things the marvel way and there's there's nothing wrong with following a formula especially when you're in hollywood like that's how films those are trends that follow like oh shit westerns are hot right now let's do a fucking western Oh, oh shit, war movies are big now? Let's do a war movie. Like You can still follow a formula and do stuff in a similar format and find success, but when you're trying to get to the team film without making us care about a team... That's true. You're like, oh, we can't do it the way Marvel did it. Well, yeah, because you didn't 
try. You didn't leave. You yeah, literally were you like, we're different. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have to come out and publicly admit it either. They well, could have no, just it, slinked it, away and then yeah. just did what they're doing now. But uh, but no, I agree. I mean, you can't <laughs> you can't do a team movie and still not have three of the people introduced. Yeah. I mean, that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Unless uh, unless you're Marvel, and then Guardians of the Galaxy works. Well, Guardians Guardians work though because the the team was the characters. You know, like yeah, you did their origin all at once. But uh, yeah, it, Justice League is just like Justice League is you know Avengers, Avengers and Justice League. They're the these are your super noble tentpole teams of each of these franchises, like. These are your knights of the round table, if you will, right? Like, these are the people everybody's supposed to look to. And you walked in knowing two and a half of the characters. Cyborg, Aquaman, and Flash were all unknowns. And it didn't help that, you know, they've had other iterations and other media recently that were affecting people's perception. I don't think Ezra Miller's Flash ever got a fair shake because of... CW's Flash like people had Grant Gustin in their mind you know and I know many of us were like why don't you just hire Grant Gustin he'd be great now here we are years later on the other end of the the crisis event that they just did where they got to do that awesome scene with the two of them together and you know we, we I think we can safely say now they've both earned their their Flash but and they do they have taken quite different approaches it's just it's really tough the big thing and bean says this in chat biggest issue dc has had is marketing messaging like it's not even just the marketing like because some of these films have been everywhere but you weren't conveying what you were trying to do suicide squad was a mess that movie was awful like the the doubt from the writing to the the pacing to the the overall structure of the story it was just a mess it was bad yeah, there was almost nothing redeemable about that. The one thing that the one shining light in that film was Harley Quinn. Her scenes were great. Margot Robbie is one of the most talented young actresses in Hollywood today, and she shows it when she plays Harley. And she, it's the same in Birds of Prey. The, the The film being centered on her fits because she's great. You know, in, in a way that nobody else has been great. Not even, not even uh, Gal Gadot with wonder woman like she's been wonderful as wonder woman i think she's fantastic i think it was good casting but in her solo film and in the other film she's been in she didn't grab you the way margot robbie has with harley quinn harley quinn's supposed to be a villain and i care about her more than i care about anybody else well i i think that just comes to like you were saying margot i mean yeah it's the same with ryan and deadpool i mean these Mm -hmm. people it's more of than just a character to these actors and you know if you're portraying somebody that you actually care about and you want to do well by that character you treat it a lot differently than if you're just going in there and doing a job mm-hmm. so that's good i'm glad sonic did well and and you know if you guys are on the fence still go out and support birds of prey because it sounds like a really good time and uh, we don't want these Margot to stop making these wonderful movies. So, and if you, you know. don't like Sonic, blame Paul. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. So, real quick, I wanted to bring up that Taika is back in the news. Uh, Taika is going to direct a horror comedy series called Etoise on uh, Showtime, and it's going to be starring Jude Law. 
So I'm always down when I hear new Taika news. Um, I'm so happy that he finally won his Oscar. But we're going to have a uh, gonzo horror comedy, a twisted romance, and uh, and uh, high wire act biting satire is what one of the, the, the co-writer Peter Warren says about the series. Uh, it's going to follow a film producer despite to, um, desperate to make a great horror movie on the heels of a massive bomb, but accidentally traps his production on a back lot with a serial killer. So uh, <laughs> that's not the most Taika ass horror comedy. I don't know what is. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I know. I know that they have a streaming service. Um, so if I can't somehow acquire the show when it comes out um, by other means of the high seas, then I might sign up just to watch once this uh, is fully released. But nothing really deep yet on it. Just Jude Law is going to be in it. And uh, I'm sure we'll get the Taika crew of Jermaine and, and some of the other guys who have been in uh, in, uh, in a bunch of his other, other projects. So... Xbox at E3 2020. Now, yeah. E3 is a little bit of a mess. <laughs> uh, little, little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. A little bit of a mess right now. Uh, Xbox is... is, is, is uh, what, what's old Philly Spencer saying about, uh, about the Xbox show this year? So he's, he's basically hyping up how excited he is to do E3 this year. The reason I brought this to the table is not so much that I want to like get on my knees in front of Phil Spencer because I really don't care how he feels about it. But I <laughs> do think that we are about to see a major sea change in the way Microsoft approaches the console market. And they, they've been hinting at this for the last couple of years. The big news right now is that they're finally, they, Microsoft is like, we're done with the console exclusive. We're not locking our games to our platform. And, you know, it, it, this has created an interesting conversation that I've seen in parts of the internet, uh, particularly on Reddit, where, like, some people are responding to that, like, oh, wow, this is such a, a pro-consumer thing, you know, to stop trying to sell us a console just so we can play your games. Now, if, and in particular, the big thing here is because Microsoft has the like Game Pass, for example, they've established this ecosystem between the Xbox and between PC where it's really easy to transition. A lot of, a lot of titles have cross-platform support, progress support. So like you can play a game on your Xbox and then go play on PC and go back and forth. So you can play an online multiplayer game or something like that and maintain your progress. You can download your saves, that kind of thing. And so it just seems like it's going to be more of that. So like Microsoft is really posed to do something interesting, but it's also a console launch year. They're going to be talking about the Series X, which is going to launch later this year. So it's like, it's going to be hype on the new console. But, you know, we've talked about this off and on over the last year or two. I didn't think that they were going to come out the gates this hard with a console. I still think that this is like a kind of awkward we're trying to stay in the game. We're trying to stay in the conversation effort and less of a, we're trying to win the console war this generation thing. How do you guys feel? Let's dig into this. Like first let's, let's unpack no more console exclusives for Xbox. How does that hit you guys? I mean, with Microsoft owning windows, it's not a surprise that they would bring console exclusives because 
it's going to hit the PC because they see that that's where a lot of people are playing games these days. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus you can do a lot more with a game on a PC than you can on a console. I'm not surprised that they're still putting out a, uh, a console this year because the Xbox 360 is still their golden child. This one, the Xbox one, which is tucked away between my filing cabinet and my desk uh, that only gets used while we play Sea of Thieves over at the Three Pro Amigos of the Stream Apocalypto, uh, was a tumble and was a dog shit console. And I bought it just so I could play um, uh, Rare Studios uh, collection game, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I never even played that. So, But it makes sense that they're going to try again. Um, let's remember that the Wii was really big for Nintendo. Sold a lot of consoles. The Wii U slammed on its face. And they were going to get out of the business depending on how the Switch did. Um, it wasn't a rumor. They, they were legitimately saying, okay, if the Switch doesn't go well, we're just going to do software. We're not doing hardware anymore. And then sell those IPs off to people. But the Switch is the golden child that is saving Nintendo right now, which Nintendo can do no wrong right now in some people's eyes. Uh, but if they didn't put out the Switch and just called it quits after the Wii U, we wouldn't have so many wonderful experiences that we do with the Nintendo Switch. So, we yeah, we wouldn't have a a industry changing console like the Switch. Because correct, it the the yeah, it's it, and that's the thing too. Like in these conversations, I've been seeing, particularly in the PC gaming subreddit, I've seen a lot of people be like, "Well, why was I going to get an Xbox?" The only reason I bought my Xbox is so that I could play exclusives. And I'm a P- I have a P- gaming PC. I'm going to play everything else on PC because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you can do a lot more with it. If it's a game like a Skyrim or a Fallout, you can mod it. If it's a, if it's a high, you know, visual spec game, like any modern first-person shooter or open-world game, you can crank the graphics and tweak all the settings, you know, and just, like, have this incredibly insane visual experience that you just can't do on consoles and so people are like yeah i I bought my xbox one x to play halo or to play gears or to play both and or to play with my friends and now with cross play and everything else i don't necessarily have to do that anymore so it's funny because those people are like staring daggers over at sony being like sony what the heck and it's like the thing is sony isn't gonna give up exclusives because they don't have to no no when you say xbox is giving up exclusives that's console exclusives correct console exclusives yeah. yeah it's not like we're gonna see master chief head on over to the playstation anytime soon it just means that we can play both on our xbox and our pc well basically they're not funneling into getting you to buy the console itself yeah. You know, but we also know they have a relationship with Nintendo. So you say you're not going to see Master Chief on the PlayStation, but that could happen with it, Nintendo. Well, it it, <laughs> all, it it very likely could happen with Nintendo, but it could also potentially happen. Uh, and honestly, the whole topic is more complicated than all of this too, because the other thing is the games industry relies on consoles. Uh, to develop games because it provides a stable platform for them to develop for you know so when you have right now we have the three big consoles which really technically 
for any AAA title that has advanced graphics, we're not talking about the Switch is always an afterthought. It's like we designed the game for Xbox One and PlayStation 4. We benchmark it based on that. We get it to work on those two platforms and then we iterate and get PC ports and the Switch port eventually. And there's a couple of studios that specialize in the Switch port business that are like, they're fucking wizards. They're gods. They're gods among them. They're just like, oh yeah, you want to play Witcher 3? If you had told me when the Switch first came out that someday the Witcher 3 would be on that platform, I was like, no. It doesn't look great. But yeah. it's there. But um, it's there. And, and they just had a big patch come through to help out with the, with the graphics. But yeah, yeah, you're completely right, Paul. Yeah, Witcher 3, Breath of the Wild. Uh, <laughs> the Breath of the they, Witcher. They might, they might, <laughs> might could have gone. Uh, yeah, so it's like the games industry kind of relies on that stability, right? Because it's really like it, games that are developed exclusively for PC, it's a tough road because everybody's PCs are different though that has started to normalize a little bit because we've kind of hit that we've hit the point where you know new graphics cards and stuff aren't coming out every year that are just completely blowing the doors off last year's models that stuff has slowed down to a considerable degree a lot of people are sitting at the same benchmarking roundabouts you know what I mean uh there is, we are on the cusp of some new breakthrough technologies that could change that, but they are going to be very expensive. So we're talking about early adopters and it's stuff that the general industry isn't ready to worry about yet. Uh, so it's a really complicated thing, but I have been saying for a while, I think that Microsoft is planning for the future where software is king. Oh, completely. And they, they've already showed, um, they've shown that, that if this console fails which i don't know i don't know if it will um they have already showed their hand on what their backup plan is going to be um which i'm okay with um if you would have told me that we would have had cuphead on the switch i would have called you a a fucking asshole but there's even a cuphead costume in smash brothers now because of that beautiful relationship between microsoft and nintendo so as much as it um it doesn't. I don't even feel sad about it. If if the Xbox goes away, really, it it wouldn't bother me too much. Um, but the Chads of the world. I know. But look, hey man, I used to be a Chad. Like my Xbox 360 and me, I went through six of them. Thank you, Red Ring of Death. But I still went, you know, and kept picking them up, even though they kept fucking me without giving me dinner first. <laughs> but that time has changed, right? I relied on my Xbox because at that time, it was the superior of the online gaming experience to consoles but i didn't have the money to build a pc i didn't have the place to put pc you know put a pc so i had my 360 and that's what all my bros played mm-hmm. but i'm past that now and like i said i only take this out um well when she asked for it but also when uh when we're doing the three migos so it's a. Uh, it wouldn't be too much of a loss, and as long as they're still making software, I mean that's really all that matters, right? Well, in so to that effect, Microsoft the last two three years, they did E three. I think it was two years ago or three years ago where they said we are going to focus on expanding our library of content, our games. So we are, and they started buying 
small studios. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to grab these small studios that are doing great things with limited resources. And we're going to give them more resources. We're going to let them make more games and you're going to have that to look forward to. And then they had game pass game pass. You know, now you, if you're an Xbox owner, you can merge your Xbox live subscription with game pass. You get, not only do you get your online connectivity, but you also get access to this huge library of games. And it's, it ranges from AAA titles as they're coming out. You know, you had stuff like, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, Anthem was on EA's service, but you had big titles coming out. Day they come out are available on Game Pass. And then also smaller studio stuff like your AA, your single A, and then your indie stuff. So they are focusing on building a content library and Spencer has made some comments about how they're not necessarily targeting customers and saying, we want you all to be subscribers, but that doesn't mean they're not going to build one of the best subscription services on the, on the planet for people who are looking to have access to a lot of games. If you have gaming ADD and you can't find something that's right for you, honestly, game pass, it's, I think it's $10 a month. It is incredible that's an incredible value for you because you don't have to buy something if you if you grab one of the you know hot new titles and you don't like it you just move on and download something else you know if i had more time to put into gaming other than the nintendo gaming that i do i mean game pass would be a fucking no-brainer for me because you know there's still a bunch of that back catalog of games that i just want to you know, get through and they're putting good titles out on that game pass too. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just throwaway titles. It's some pretty good stuff. And it benefits, uh, you know, we talk about sea of thieves. We play that on stream. We've been playing that game for a year. Sea of thieves was a game that was arguably in a bit of a decline because it had a rocky start. Rare took their resources and dumped it into really sprucing up the game, adding a lot of content. And then Microsoft supported them by putting them on game pass and getting them pe- bodies like getting mm-hmm. them people and so i see tons of xbox players playing on the on sea of thieves because they can grab it for free yep. well not free but it's part of the subscription but it's a it's an online multiplayer game and it hooks people you know what i mean and so then what is the most important thing in an online open world multiplayer game bodies you need people you need you need people for players to bounce into otherwise the game is not compelling and they did it they filled seats and that's what you have to do sometimes. So I think that Microsoft's new strategy is really smart. I do think this console is going to be a loss leader for them. They're just going to set a whole bunch of money on fire. I also have, so I have a conspiracy theory that goes with that, but go ahead, Philip. No, no, no. I just had a thought um, that <clears throat> you have all these PlayStations and these Xbox ready to ship uh, later this year. And I'm trying to, I wonder if, the coronavirus delaying things already is going to have a ripple effect to delay some of these consoles coming out before the holiday season. It's going to be a tough year because of coronavirus, honestly. Yeah. I, I, it just dawned on me that, you know, there's already game developers that are pushing games back because they can't get the carts um, from China back quick enough. So, huh, that's just a thought I had. Yeah. Well, no, it's uh, so that's, <laughs> it's a huge issue. It's going to hit multiple industries. Uh, yeah, it already of, has. Yeah, outside yeah, thing. A lot of office buildings are shut down completely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, the economic impact is going to be crazy. I just saw a report. Uh, not China, but Japan is uh, on the cusp of a recession economically as well. 
Hmm. And they've been trying, they've been doing some stuff to try to weather some slowdown in their economy, but coronavirus is going to hit them too. This is going to be, do not expect anything to come out on time this year. And, but also please keep in mind, like as conscientious consumers don't rage at these companies because some of them are willfully closing their doors and saying, we don't want people to risk their health because they could die. That's, that's the reality. Like, we don't want people showing up to work at a time like this because they could straight up die. Um, and in other cases, it's an entire office building is getting shut down because of this. It's a huge deal. It's not a small thing and it is going to impact the industry. Uh, so yeah, I, I expect a lot more titles than just what we've heard about so far getting slowdowns. Um, but honestly, it's, that's life. I mean, yeah. sometimes things happen, you know, your video game is not more important than the, the lives of humans. Right. So, uh, let me speak to your manager, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Karen. Uh, the other thought, so my conspiracy theory in regards to this new generation of Xbox is I recall, and I'd have to go digging for the video to rewatch it again to see if I'm, I'm totally right on this, but I recall them talking about how they plan to fill data centers with the new Xbox so that people could stream off of them. And Phil Spencer's made some comments that they're not, they think Stadia is cool and all, but it's not the future. They don't think it's going to be, they think it's going to be an option, but they don't think that's going to be the mainstay going forward. I wonder if the Xbox One X is going to be, or not, whatever the hell the new one's called. 2X. 2X, 10X. Uh, The new Xbox, I feel like it's probably going to be used to fill data centers. And to provide streaming services or just, you know, data, like, uh, you know, as a server farm. Yeah, server, yeah. So, and my thought process behind that is if you were looking to build a machine that could be programmed for, you know, developers could program to a standard, and then you were planning to fill your data centers with this machine, would you not also want to sell some number of million units to consumers just because you could? And so I, I like basically I see I see the consumer side of it is just this will just help pay for this, but I see it as a serious investment in the back end and the infrastructure of whatever the next step is. And because I really do think the big thing is, like Stadia is not what it promised to be right now, but I do think that streaming is the future. And I think this is a com- I got into a kind of heated conversation on Reddit about this. There is a huge untapped market in the emerging like the third world slash emerging second first world whatever you want to call it uh in these markets people have access to stuff like decent broadband but not great um they sorry might, australia yeah. <laughs> yeah you know the emerging third world uh they might have access to some technology but they these are the markets that are not going to buy a console because it's a hugely expensive import product for them that only does one thing which is plays video games when there are like phones and tablets and computers that can do can be used for work or school and also play entertainment on them if they could start streaming games you now suddenly have access to literally millions hundreds of millions billions of new customers in these emerging markets billions and billions and where billions. a subscription like game pass suddenly becomes hugely valuable to them because they can get access to all this stuff and game pass right now isn't a streaming 
service. It's a subscription service that you download the games you're going to play. But if we get to a point where Google and Microsoft and whoever else is working on this quietly in the shadows irons out the technology, we could be looking at a future where streaming is the reality for a lot of people where the, the console or the PC cost was the thing that kept them out of the market before. So I think that's the future. And I think that's what anybody who's smart in the game right now is planning for, even if it's going to take some time to get there. We might not get there for years. We might, it might take another decade, but eventually we're going to solve that problem one yeah. way or another. So. Nope. <clears throat> well, I won't buy it, but I'm sure, sure yeah. somebody will. <laughs> So uh, Mr. Affleck has come out and, and said some things about uh, his life and, and why he, uh, he left the, the, the coveted cape and cow behind. Christopher, what can you tell me about uh, old drunky McDrunkerson? Well, as I was going to say, Affleck. one of the worst, worst kept secrets in Hollywood is how much you know, Ben Affleck likes to drink. Um, <clears throat> that was a secret? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he did a, he recently did an interview with the New York times um, in which he was talking about, you know, recent life. Um, interesting piece. It's a real uh, behind the scenes look at just Ben Affleck as a person. Um, but the, the article that we've linked here uh, specifically talks about Batman and why he left the Cape and cowl behind um, walked away from DC um, because at this point, so I'll just read you the quote. It says, I showed somebody the Batman script Affleck said, they said, I think the script is good. I also think that you'll drink yourself to death if you go through with this, uh, go through what you just went through again, um, referring to all of everything that happened with uh, Justice League, um, you know, from, from BVS through, through Justice League, uh, the derision between, or the, the divide between critics and fans, the divide between the fan bases, um, you know, wanting to get a Batman movie that he wanted made, made with him starring, directing, and writing, um, and, you know, by all intents and purposes, DC not having true faith in the people that they choose to helm their pictures and, you know, uh, pulling their reins in at the last minute to do reshoots and things like that. Um, this was adding to personal strife that was going on at home, which was adding to the drinking, which is adding to everything else. And it was just kind of a downward spiral. Um, I, I would honestly, out of the New York Times article, one of the most interesting that I saw was he, he said to this day one of his biggest regrets in life was was the divorce with with Jennifer yeah um, so uh, you know it's, it's just it's a it's it's a it's a raw look at, at Ben um, it, and just seeing how you know that translated into into film and the things that happened with the the, the DCEU things that are not necessarily in his control um, you know, the, you know we just we just talked about it the marketing and the messaging of these movies and how how the studio itself did its level best to, uh, you know, abort this franchise um, be before it even got off the ground. So It sucks. Yeah, it I'm, really does. You know, I've been a fan of Ben for a long time. <laughs> um, from his days in, uh, in Mallrats to Days of Confused. But we've all known that he's had this terrible drinking problem for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just been looked upon and pushed in the background because hey he's from boston who doesn't have a drinking problem from boston mm -hmm. uh but it cost him the movie that he wanted to make probably more than any other movie um i'm sure i'm sure it sucks but at least now uh he can 
kind of put it behind him and start marching forward. I mean, you could just take a play out of uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s book, you know. Mm-hmm. Just because this happened doesn't mean it's the end. You can uh, you can always pick yourself up and start start pushing forward again. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, I mean, the last time that he you know he went low, he you know came back with Argo. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he may just pull another page out of his book. <laughs> well, that's the, true. Yeah. That's the thing too. Like people, Affleck is sometimes the butt of a lot of jokes for some reason, but for every laughable film he's done, like a Jiggly, Jiggly, however it's pronounced. Uh, you know, he did something like Argo, and Argo was incredible. He is a talented actor. He's a talented producer and director. He's, but he's also a guy who's got demons. He's plagued by his failures, and he, you know, in the New York Times interview, at one point he said something about how he has a compulsive personality, and you know, so he talks about the struggle with like when you're like this, you start to feel bad about stuff and so then you turn to the drinking and then you feel bad about the drinking and so then you drink more and he he actually broadened it out a bit and he said it's like people turn to booze or food or whatever their addiction happens to be and it's totally true and that you know this is a common thing that happens to people who hold themselves to a high standard you know like they they're and so it's always eaten away at them and it's it's terrible to see that his life kind of fell apart because of all of this you know like it's it's crazy to think that doing Batman, doing the DC films might have cost him his marriage. You know what I mean? Because it seems like it was a big part of it. Uh, Which comes on the heels of him doing Daredevil, you know, like almost 20 years ago. And that, well, Mm -hmm. him, him meeting Jennifer Garner that way, but also that put him through hell back then, you know, and he was never going to put a cowl on again. He was going to hang up the, the idea and he came back and it's like, and you know of course chris you know being the kevin smith super fan of the group like we know that kev's been in his corner for a long time to do and i believe he's talked about how he told ben to do this to like go after go after it if he had the opportunity you know do Mm -hmm. the don the cowl again do it you'll do it right so it's it's heartbreaking to see that something so you know uh, such a tentpole thing that could have been great and that he actually did a really good job at is so awful for his personal life. You know? Killed him. Yeah. It destroyed him. It sucks. It, 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 you always it really does. see somebody lose their marriage or have their life fall apart because of a project. And it's like, it's, it's bad. And it, it makes me feel bad a little bit because, you know, people like ourselves, we sit here, and we see something like what Warner Brothers is doing with the DCEU, and we lob our, our shots, our hot takes and everything. And a guy like Affleck reads that, and he takes that as a personal blow when it's not on him. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I remember the entire time that we talked about BVS and then Justice League, never once did anybody say, hey, Affleck phoned it in here. It didn't do a good job. Yeah. No, yeah. he was a wonderful yeah. Batman. Yep. Yeah, and, he, and I've always said that he and Cavill – are, are picture perfect for, for the roles that they played. Mm-hmm. And I think Cavill would have benefited from a better script. Like I, I have no doubt in my mind he could have played, played Superman perfectly. He just wasn't given that opportunity. But Ben played, played an older, you know, waning Batman perfectly well. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, uh, Kilted Pipe Guy says that, uh, well, Daredevil did suck. 
um, <clears throat> you should check out the, the director's cut because that's another good example of where a studio decided at the last minute to make a bunch of changes and stick its, you know, finger in the pie. Um, I really wish that would stop happening. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it, it did it to the detriment. Now, I'm not going to say that Daredevil is a fantastic film, or I, I don't even know that I'll go to a good film, but it is a it is a completely different experience to see a theatrical release versus that director's cut and see where the movie would have been better served. Interesting. I didn't know that this director's cut was a thing. Yep. I'm one of those suckers that actually enjoys the <laughs> theatrical cut, so I'm double excited to know that I can uh, I can never watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you it, can own it and put it on your shelf. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think one of the things about Daredevil is it was it was a product of its era. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Chris, you you're always apt to bring up uh, the X Men films, the original mm-hmm. trilogy. Like they were a product of their era. Do, do they hold up? Is the big question. Daredevil came out at that really awkward transition point where you know we were in that post Matrix. Like we can suddenly do all these amazing things with special effects and technology is starting to like just leap away at what we're capable of and it kind of got buried in the mix there it didn't you know if if daredevil had come out a few years later it might have been more visually impressive if the writing was toned up a little bit it could have been great i mean if you look at like the state of hollywood today it actually that's the thing the criticism towards warner brothers for me it's astounding that the DCEU can be such a flop continuously because of what we see Marvel doing and everybody else doing what's being done in television. Like there's a bevy of incredible writers and creatives that could help you realize these visions, but then you meddle, you meddle and meddle and meddle and you get in the way of these creative people. And then you take somebody like Ben Affleck who, you know, was putting it all on the line for you and trying to write his own film to be, you know, direct, he was going to direct the Batman film. He was going to be in, write it. He's trying to create, bring this vision to life for you. And you get in his way on that too. Like what the hell, man? (laughs) So. Other news coming out from, uh, did you have something you want to hit one more thing, Chris? Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, was the screen test of Robert Pattinson, uh-huh. uh, which, you know, came right on the heels of, of this whole article from the New York Times. Um, what, do, what do you guys think about this? It's, it's a screen test, so it's not really, not really, this is more about the look, the, the yeah. look of him and the sure. cowl and the, the look of the costume. So without reading too much into it, um, like the costume looks cool. I like interpretation. Uh, if we if we do find out that that's uh, that bat symbol is Joe Chill's gun, like I I've never even I've never even thought of an application like that. That's 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 fucking slick, is what that is. We'll we'll see what it turns out to be. I will say that Robert Pattinson has got one of the weakest chins in the cowl that I think I've ever seen. <laughs> but other than that, like we'll see. Like I'm not I'm not gonna take anything away from his performance because I haven't seen it. The yeah. costume looks good. Um, but he, uh, I, I will assume, you know, probably a year one story. So it's okay that he looks youthful and, and young. We'll, we'll see what's going on. Um, you know, and I think, I think that what I would worry about with just the types of roles that, that Robert Pattinson is best known for is I would worry about too much of going to an Anakin Skywalker as mm-hmm. a portrayal of, you know, a, an emo Batman 
um, because that's the only, it seems like today that's the only way we can we can portray uh, you know a late a late teen early twenties individual that you know is is in a bad place is just go full emo. I'd wor- I would worry that that would come out too much, but uh, I I want to see it. Like I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna pay to see it. Uh, but uh, we'll see what we'll see what comes. This is I, next year. Yeah, next year. Okay. I don't know that I have. Yeah, I don't have as many concerns. Okay, so the the big thing with Pattinson is everybody thinks Twilight. Yeah. I think I think that's what I think that's you know the comparison to Anakin Skywalker is probably a little apt there. I think he gets a bad rap for Twilight. That was a career defining early role for a young actor. Uh, they paid him a giant pile of money that probably set him up for life. You know what I mean? Like, so he absolutely should have taken that opportunity. It was a huge role for him, but it typecast him for a long time and it tainted perceptions of him in the same way that Hayden Christensen hasn't been able to do much work since doing Star Wars because everybody sees Anakin Skywalker. And I, but he has done some smaller stuff over the years and he's done more recently. The big thing was the lighthouse, Lighthouse, which people have been raving about him in it and being like, this guy has the chops. Like, Stop thinking of the Twilight Kid and realize that this guy, he did that classic move of I'm going to do that. He did the, like the Elijah Wood or the, um, trying to think of Harry po- Daniel Radcliffe thing. I, early in my career, I get this huge tentpole job. I make a bunch of money. I'm set for life. I can do whatever projects I want to do after that point. It's totally up to me because now I'm not chasing success because I've already had it. I, he circles back around here like a decade later after doing the twilight films. I think this is, I think he has every possibility of pulling a big upset, much like Michael Keaton did. If you recall. Oh yeah. Mr. Mom. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) When Michael Keaton was announced as Batman originally for 1989, everyone was like, no, (laughs) no, no, you're kidding. And here we are 30 years later and people still talk about that film and still talk about how incredible he was. A lot of people say Keaton is their Batman, you know? So <laughs> he is Cedric D- uh, Diggory. Diggory, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you're wearing the scarf to honor the. Uh, well, he was a Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff so right. come yep, on. Right. I'm a yep, fucking nope. Gryffindor. <laughs> Ain't no Hufflepuffing over here. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm excited. I mean, I'm always up for seeing a new Batman. I'm not. I'm not crazy about Batman. Uh, I don't care that much about the DC, but Batman's villains are always the greatest part about Batman. So um, I'm willing to give him a shot. Can't be worse than bat nipples. So <laughs> and the uh, bat Red, charge card. Red Arrow in our chat says that they said the same thing about Heath Ledger and that as well. Heath yeah. Ledger did a couple of teen, like teen comedy drama type movies and people were like, he's going to be garbage and he revolutionized the Joker. Well, not only that, but like also recently the Joaquin Phoenix, everyone was like, mm-hmm. no, fuck that. And we, we always do this. It's like, we always criticize the person before they actually get on the screen and, and, and let you see what they can do. You can be surprised by people. You never know, man. You know, it's like uh, if I said before, if they fall in love with the character and treat it the way it needs to be treated and not just like a job, wonderful things can fucking happen off of it. Mm -hmm. I think like, honestly, the only, the only Batman I can think of right now that didn't get a ton of crap when they were cast was probably Christian Bale. 
Yeah. And that was mostly because he had done so much, so many art films and such up to that point. Like, and he had done that crazy stuff where he did American Psycho and then did The Machinist and like. And the Newsies. Don't forget he, the Newsies. He bulked up and then lost all the weight and then he turned around and did Batman. Like, he almost killed himself for Batman. I, I feel like Val had some juice behind his casting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like people were more excited about Val than they were about George taking over the, the role. But yeah. Yeah. I, I said, I. It's, it's been a few years it's been a few years well, I, but yeah I feel like... when, Clooney, when Clooney took it everybody th- because of his ER chops at the time everybody thought he was going to do fine and then that film was such a insane mess that Schumacher mess that it was Schumacher right I'm not yeah and and honestly we know we've talked about that on the show I think in, within the last year where I brought a story in it turns out a big part of that was the toy manufacturers that were part of like in the, the production, mm-hmm. you know, the producers, they were like, no, you've got to do all this crazy insane stuff so that we can sell toys. So that was a film that was largely butchered by outsiders meddling again. Well, getting in the... That's another thing we can b- blame George Lucas for. <laughs> just, they, they just tried, they just tried to force it now. Yeah. <laughs> Metachlorians. <laughs> all right on that note let's uh let's hit the break uh take some peas and whatnot uh if you're here live in chat give us about five minutes we're gonna record some things for the patreon you can get access to that over at patreon.com slash breaking the panel and uh we'll be back in a couple minutes
Breaking the Panel is made possible by you and other listeners just as awesome as you are. If you want to support the show and get a little something in return, just go to patreon.com slash breaking the panel because we do appreciate the help. And we're back. Is my mic working? Yes. <laughs> yes. So that was a fun little break. Uh, got sent an interesting article from my cousin, which I'll tack on real quick to the end of the show. But we normally do a roundtable on, on the second halves, and I had one hit me strangely because um, I normally don't follow this kind of news. But Ninja, the famed streamer over on Mixer, yep, he left Twitch a couple, couple months ago, I believe. Yep, yep. He took that big fuck you motherfucker movie trick. But he, uh, he is under some, a little bit of controversy, and I don't know if I fully agree with what people are saying. Um, he had a tweet come out, this, I think this was from yesterday, and he said the phrase, it's just a game, is a, such a weak mindset. Are you okay? What happened? Losing imperfections of, the, of a craft? When you stop getting angry after losing, you lose twice. It's always important to learn and always room for improvement. Never settle. And people have been really on his fucking ass about this. And I don't know if I fully agree with, with, people, uh, with people giving him shit about it because I, I kind of get where he's coming from, especially if you look at it in the point of view of the style of him gaming. You know, that high competitiveness or even sports, you know, uh, you know I, to some people, man, it's just a game is, is not a suitable answer. And, and I agree, but I think like we're talking about two, I, I think there's, I think there's a healthy middle ground <laughs> where you can, where you can, you can, you can be upset, you can be upset with your performance and versus being that asshole over X, that asshole 11 year old over Xbox live, right? you know, just verbally abusing anybody and everybody because you're unhappy with it, the outcome of a game. Plus there's in anything you do in life, like for you to let it affect you physically, you know, to have physical manifestations of things uh, like, I'm a total rage fucking demon. I know Paul has talked about that he is. You know, I like I can't. No. <laughs> uh, there are so many D20s that no longer exist in this world because I was the hammer guy. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That's um, so dangerous to everyone around you. Exactly, exactly. Um, but you know, things like that. So I mean, in that instance, like, couldn't we come closer to the middle and say, should, shouldn't I have swung a little more to the? It's just a game realm of things i'm not saying that you shouldn't have you shouldn't take pride in what you do and that there isn't a degree of seriousness in you know competition especially when we're talking like e-gamer you know things like that but i mean the guy that said this seemed to give up pretty quick at the new year when nobody would dance with him at, you know in in uh, in times square it to him it was just a game right but he wasn't taking pride in it he accepted defeat uh, i i i've I, I personally can't, I can't because I have been that, that douchebag before. Um, we oh, were talking, <laughs> we, well, we were talking earlier about, um, about Xbox. And when I was playing Xbox, I was playing the NHL franchise and 
we were really fucking serious about team play. Um, we were ranked fifth in the world for my team. And there was a lot of arguments about positioning and not doing your job and, and taking it more serious because we were playing on that higher competitive point of view. I mean, we were going out and having coaching meetings. Like I went out and luckily for me, all my, my, my squad mates were all in my town. I bought a hockey whiteboard and, and like you would to children had to explain different, different, you know, uh, strategy through hockey for a fucking video game. I mean, that's a little bit more than it's just a game to me at that point. And I get that, but you're you're also talking about the game that you're playing competitively in versus were there not games that you guys could just play for leisure and you wouldn't get that upset if you know if you if you like it doesn't all translate to that level of competitiveness. Sure, that I'm, level I'm gonna of, put a pin in in that and circle back around to it because you brought up a great point. That it, yeah, well I, I'll just dive in I guess. Yeah, yeah go. So I I agree with both of you. Um, there is it's it's absolutely a question of like what what are you doing right now now. If I play a game, and I, Chris, like you said, I've been a rage demon before. I hate that about myself. I absolutely loathe it. It is bubbled up on Bromigos on the Sunday night stream when we play Sea of Thieves. There have been times when we get into a fight with another ship, another crew, and, you know, we, we're trying to sometimes we're drinking or whatever we're telling jokes we're singing songs whatever it happens to be we're dicking around and then it shit gets serious and when we collect when we fall apart in that moment i get pissed sometimes and i've said stuff that i'm not proud of i've i've put pressure on my relationships with philip with kurt with whoever else happened to be around um you know the the quitters who left <laughs> but like i didn't leave i wasn't invited back you <laughs> i i had to take a step back from those situations and realize like most recently when it happened with kurt i i went to kurt afterwards i was like i'm sorry like i let it lie for the night and i went back and i was like i need to remember that what we're doing on bromigos is having a good time us hanging out with each other and hanging out with chat and is having a good time is the goal. We're not trying to be competitive, but if you are striving for excellence in something, if you are trying to compete at the top level of a game and let's be real, a lot of online multiplayer games in particular have a very serious top end of them where it is full of really staunch competitors then everybody who's in that mode, who's signing up for that, should be on the same page. And that's a situation where, yeah, if somebody is slacking and not pulling their weight, I understand the frustration. Philip and I both have a background in MMO uh, um, progression rating. You know, when you, you and 20 to at one point 40 other people all have the shared goal of going in every week pushing as far as you can in the current content, killing whatever you can, getting all the best loot, basically refining your process so that you are the best at your role in that team, in that makeup, so that you are performing to the best of your capability. When people showed up and like didn't have the supplies that they needed, like potions or food or whatever, when they were late to raids, when they weren't listening during instructions, when they didn't execute on their role, we got pissed because mm -hmm. you have, in, in the case of an MMO, you've got 20 to 40 people, depending on the game, 
that are all sitting there. They're waiting on you. They're sacrificing their Tuesday night or whatever night it happens to be because a lot of slightly more casual progression raiders will raid on the weekends. They're giving up their Friday or Saturday night to do this, you know, and it's like you've got a lot of people putting a lot on the line for you. And if you're not pulling your weight, I totally understand where people are coming from. So I get his sentiment where it's like, because a lot of people like to pull out the it's just a game thing, which is also valid sometimes. That's the problem. So it's like, are you competitive minded? Are you trying to succeed? Are you trying to achieve at the top level of what you can achieve in a particular game? Whether it be sports, whether it be a video game, whether it be at your career, whether it be in academics, if you're trying to achieve as much as can possibly achieve, you should have that level of commitment and awareness. And like when you fail, you should hold yourself and whoever else is, you know, part of your team accountable, but you should do so fairly. And uh, there's actually a great comment here. I don't know if this will show up for everyone because I follow Brian Kibler, uh, but Brian Kibler is a Magic the Gathering pro, former Magic the Gathering pro, Hall of Famer, who was also a uh, pretty prominent Hearthstone streamer for a long time. He responded to Ninja and he said, I feel like the strive for excellence sentiment here is good, but one of the most important things for people to get good at when they play games competitively is losing because they are going to do it a lot. You can strive for excellence without getting angry when you lose. And he says, your younger audience is not going to understand the nuance here. What you're saying sounds like it justifies raging and other toxic behavior. And I agree with that completely. It's okay to get mad. You have to internalize that. You have to aim it at the right people. You have to take it out of the public space when it's appropriate. Um, the other thing I was going to say is the problem with playing something competitively is you can't walk back after a while. Uh, for example, um, Magic the Gathering. I, at one point, you know, I played Magic off and on for more than a decade, seriously. And I never reached, a, got to the level of a Brian Kibler or anything like that. But I was spending a lot of money every week to play the game, to buy into tournaments that cost a lot of money. And I was trying to succeed. And when I failed I feel, you know, it, it bothered me on a per like I took it as a personal blow that I failed. I'd get frustrated with RNG. I'd get frustrated with like, if somebody was trying to pull crap over me, you know what I mean? Cause that happens too. Um, so sometimes your anger is validated and sometimes it's completely inappropriate. But the big thing that I could never, I couldn't do with magic anymore after a while is I couldn't play casually. People would be like, Oh, you like playing magic, right? You want to play sometime? And I was like, you don't want to play with me because when I'd sit down with my, casual magic friends i might sit down with a competitive like a competitively tuned deck and just roll over them for an hour and they don't have fun or my understanding of the game mechanics is so like i understand most of the nuances of the game and the like at each point where i could make an incremental decision that would improve my odds of winning the game i would do it and so it would get to a point where i was just like bam 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 and they could never find their way out of that you know what I mean because it was I just had such a monumental advantage because I had a much much deeper understanding of the game which is something you'd see in like sports you know like a a pro you're not going to ask like Michael Jordan to play a pickup game know, a pickup <laughs> game and yeah. expect him not to just dominate you're going to ask him the, and you're going to be like you're going to be smiling as he sticks his tongue out and dunks in your face you know what I mean like that's what you're signing up for. If you thought you were going to get a good game, you're crazy. 
so that's the thing is it's like once you get to a certain point it's hard to detach yourself from that hyper competitive mindset it's hard to to lower the stakes and just be chill about it and i actually had the problem with that like that bled over into board games and stuff for me too i have a hard time playing some board games with friends sometimes because it's like once i once i grok what's going on it's like oh yep i start making the most optimal decisions i can every turn and all of a sudden I have a target painted on my face sitting at the table because everyone's like, Oh, Paul's ramping up to win. And I've got three guys trying to cut my legs out from underneath me because they don't want me to win yet again. And it's like, fuck board games suck. <laughs> so yeah, competitiveness really, it can completely warp your ability to enjoy what might otherwise be a recreational activity. I completely forgot about rating. Oh man. Rating was a second job to me. You know, getting geared up throughout the week, crafting potions, getting everything that the team needs so then when we go in to find out that people didn't put the same time into prep, like not running their dailies and getting higher gear to help us down a boss. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't competitive in the world sense, but we were, we were at least competitive in, in, in the server we were on. And it would frustrate and anger me that people didn't put in the same amount of effort as I did, not even thinking that they're putting in as much time as they probably can, and they're not doing this to slight me. But at that point of time in my life, it, it, was, it was a headache because it was like working a second job and not getting the, the, the production out of my team that I uh, so much wanted. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, I, I think of, uh, in that instance, I, w- I was totally Leroy Jenkins. I didn't. I was just, ah, like, well done. Anyway, For a reference, no, you know nothing no, about. No, um, the uh, Future Fight, right? That's, that's the one I can think of. When we had the, when, when Future Fight first started and we were all playing and we were all in the different groups and you had some of those guys that were ultra, like the only thing I have to do with my life every day is play this fucking game. And they wanted to get shitty with us because, you know, mm-hmm. I had to work that day. Sorry, I didn't get my dailies done by the time you deemed was necessary. I had my dailies done, right? I didn't get, uh, didn't get my route cleared at that, you know, that, that, that very instant that you needed it cleared. Um, and they get shitty with us in, in chat. I was like, strike force. Yeah. Or that's what, yeah. Strike, strike force. force. Yeah. Strike, yeah. Strike, yeah, all of us. We all, yes. we all sat through that. There's a reason I'm not on yep. <laughs> FTH beyond anymore. Yeah, yeah. I will. And that's, that's a perfect example where in the various alliances, you know, you had 20 guys who were playing nonstop all day and wanted to do the best they possibly could. And they wanted to push as far as they could. They wanted to get the best possible rewards, every single, you know, raid and all that stuff. And I totally understand where they're coming from. But I decided I had to make a decision after a little while. I was like, you know what? I'm holding you guys back. I don't want to do this. I, this isn't, I've done this sort of thing before. This game doesn't scratch the itch for me. I'm not interested. I don't have the time, whatever. And, you know, I walked away. And sometimes you have to, you know, be for lack of a better phrase you have to be the better person and you have to in these situations you have to be introspective and you have to look at yourself and be like does this bring me joy <laughs> if it doesn't you have to let it go yep get and the hammer no it is like but you you know i've seen it in 
online shooters. I've seen it in like games like Overwatch and uh, League of Legends. Like if you sign up to play ranked in these games, everybody is trying to do as best as they can. And if you don't care, you are an asshole hmm. for signing up for that mode because mm-hmm. you are, because you in League of Legends. So League of Legends is famous for the toxic, the toxic community. The th- and I, I've always talked about League of Legends, how it's kind of this unique thing where, you, for one thing, if you're playing ranked, you couldn't just leave. If you left, you'd get locked out of other games, and then you'd get a penalty if you did it too often. So you had to play a game to completion. And every game would take, at minimum, like 20 minutes to a half an hour. So you would find out, like, 10 minutes into the game that you were going to lose because you would see that you were losing a lane or two or whatever. And you would, you just basically see one of your teammates was way out of their depth, was getting completely wrecked at every possible turn. And the jungler, the guy who's supposed to pick up your slack can't offset that. You would know that it was already a done deal. And so now you would be trapped in this experience where you have to continue to play the game for another 20 minutes to a half an hour, even though you know that it was a loss. And if you didn't do that, you'd get reported for throwing, you know, you'd get reported for inting. So like it it created this toxic culture because like people were getting chained to other people for the better part of an hour because, you know, you'd already essentially lost. And that's true for all of the MOBAs for the most part. It's like, Oh yeah. Even with how hard to come back. Yeah. Hots, hots. You got 20 minute games tops and it was still, very toxic in there even in you know in in quick play not even competitive you know i only did competitive for uh for the 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 loots that you would get for just completing it and i would instantly get in there and mute everybody just because that's what i got to do that's kind of why i think hearthstone did it correct with their competitive ladder you don't have a voice chat there you have little little emotes but you could still you could still spam the shit out of it you could still Uh, spam like wow or whatever it was whenever they got the insane top deck yeah you could rope them and every turn be like yep so yeah i just i normally just don't talk about ninja news but it was an interesting concept um and and statement from from him that kind of got a little bit of fire behind it so i just found it interesting I think anything I just think the big takeaway is it's all nuance and you got to figure out where you're at. Yeah. Uh, I, I would get frustrated just playing uh, WoW, playing Warcraft and fishing and not clicking fast enough to get my fish. God, <laughs> I, I'm too competitive about everything. But anyway, talking about uh, competing, it turns out a nine-year-old became the youngest magic player to uh to win some cash at the grand prix yeah so this is just a little little tidbit thing it's really interesting so there's this young woman named dana fisher she's nine years old she's been playing on like at big events like grand prix for a couple of years now i think she started when she was six or seven uh she cosplays as an elf oh she's adorable she's so adorable um but she's actually a really good player she always plays elf decks and she's actually, over the years, been getting better and better. And she finally placed in the money. So she is the youngest player, set a new world record for becoming the youngest Magic the Gathering player to win cash at a Grand Prix. She ended with a 10-4-1 record. That's 10 wins, 
uh, four losses and one draw in 46th place. Getting into the top 64 of a Grand Prix is a phenomenal achievement. True. Uh, that's, that means that you have played two full days of Magic the Gathering for like more than eight hours a day and done well, consistently well. Uh, peaked at 13th with an 8-1 record at the end of the Grand Prix's first day. So that's an incredible accomplishment for, for a young person. It's an, a super incredible accomplishment for a young woman in a game and a, a corner of fandom and uh, a, a scene that is almost wall-to-wall males and is known as that. Uh, she's been a shining beacon of positivity. Uh, as a matter of fact, when she first started playing, uh, I believe, like, because her motor skills weren't, like, perfect for the like the way the game flows her dad was like basically helping her make sure that she was doing everything to follow the rules yeah appropriately but she was making all of her decisions you know what i mean so basically he's just making sure mechanic like in the first year or two but she's been playing so long she's gonna be insane like as long as if magic is still a thing in another 10 years she's gonna be queen of the world (laughs) because she She's going to have come up in competitive magic like this. It's going to be crazy. So. Yeah. Step up your game, Tristan. <laughs> Publicly yeah. challenge her out of Dragon Con, Tristan. <laughs> That's uh, well, awesome, it man. It was in Austin. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> true. Yeah, I see was. that. He should have he stood outside and and attacked her like those uh, <laughs> those hikers and Pokemon attack me all the time. <laughs> um, just a drunken Mogar shouting at a nine-year-old. And then her teaching him how to play magic correctly. <laughs> oh, so, man. And, and this, I'm not trying to get political, but reading the article, this thing just jumps out at me. It said, Fisher also won the Play It Forward Playmat Prize for being the top finishing woman or non-binary player at GP Austin. Mm-hmm. So does that mean they only have two categories, males and then women and women or non-binary? I, so they binaried. I don't know what the criteria for that is, but I do know that Wizards of the Coast has been going out of their way to be particularly more inclusive to women players and also to... to, Which is good, but... For for trans inclusion and everything. I don't understand why those two would be... I don't... Yeah, I don't know much about that specific thing. I do know as a company, though, they've... uh, So they have their... um, It used to be called the Pro like the pro tour it, like a players club essentially that they have they actually have a sponsored program where a lot of a bunch of players get paid by wizards to play like they have to stream x amount of days a week on uh on twitch for playing arena and stuff mm-hmm. um but i know that they've chosen a few prominent female players in particular and also uh, there's at least one trans player that's been doing very well lately uh and they've been going out of their way to highlight her performance because they really 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 want to send the message that if you are interested in this and you are not a dude please know that you are welcome uh, there might be some people who give you flack, but there's a lot of people who are rooting for you and they're trying very, very hard to make the, the space more inclusive for you. So it's, uh, they've been making, and, and you know, some people criticize them. They think it's getting, you know, political or whatever, as you say, I think they're just trying very hard to make it a more egalitarian community. Well, I was saying that I wasn't trying to be political. Right, right. right no, yeah. yeah, no, the classification system as presented in this article struck me as odd that you would say you would choose women and non-binary to be one category yeah that's weird because then that means you have men as one category and then yep. women or nine but non-binary is another so you're still dealing with two categories yeah i don't know that mm. seems like you that's a political misstep 
they they manage to step in it fairly often. They try real hard, but they 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 screw it up real hard too sometimes. Well, this next bit is really just for the live viewers, um, since this will be happening tomorrow. But we do have a Nintendo Direct coming out tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern. Um, where we're going to be talking about Animal Crossing. That's um, just a straight Animal Crossing Direct. They also announced a new Switch Lite. So if you are planning on watching this on Twitch, I don't suggest going to Nintendo's Twitch page because it's going to be full of bullshit. Uh, just head on over to twitch.tv slash runjumpstomp and Bill's going to be doing a live uh, Q&A and then a, a stream of it and then a breakdown of the Direct after that. So check that out hopefully we find out that there's no microtransactions in uh in this goddamn oh, game good oh tom, tom nook is gonna take you for everything you got you, you know what i'm worried <laughs> uh, you know what i'm actually worried about is that they're going to do cash for bells bells that's i was just gonna say you're gonna you are no longer gonna have a son because you're selling danny for bells but uh here's the thing i actually i started playing my animal crossing uh, for the GameCube because me and the boy pulled the GameCube out recently and I signed in and the first person I saw like double taked at my character and they were like oh my god it's been 144 months since you've logged in which is 12 fucking years yeah. <laughs> they're like my whole town was wheat like just weeds are everywhere and you know i'm pretty sure i saw an rv cooking meth somewhere in that property <laughs> like it's, it's not good. and so what i did was just turned it off <laughs> and walked away <laughs> I know if I ever, in 12 more years when I plug that back in, Mr. Rossetti is going to be pissed. Yeah. We did the same thing recently. We, 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 put the, we put the disc into the Wii because we were showing the kids Animal Crossing. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get through all of these letters. No. My mailbox oh, is yeah, so, no, my oh, it's nuts full. So yeah. crazy. But, uh, so that's tomorrow, 9 a.m. Check out Bill's page. Tell him the Breaking the Panel Boys sent you there. It's going to be a good time. As we always do, we have a new Hundle Bundle to talk about. What the fuck is a Hundle Bundle? A Humble Bundle, sorry. God again, forbid I misspeak. Again, he's playing the part of Charles. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> doing a wonderful job. I uh, hate get this you, show. I hate it so much. Nom, 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 nom. nom. <laughs> Yeah, so we had a new comic bundle hit today from Valiant. Uh, it is Bloodshot. Uh, so it's the Bloodshot 2020 by Valiant uh, bundle. It has a $1 tier, it has a $8 tier, and it has a $15 tier. Uh, I don't know much about this this character, but I saw some chatter on Reddit where they said he's. it's kind of an interesting character that gets uh, the storyline kind of gets wiped from time to time when new writers come in and they just kind of do their own thing with it. So it's kind of a... You can kind of take it as it is. It's not something with like some crazy continuity. Uh, but yeah, that's, I always like to highlight the comic bundles because anything that supports getting affordable comics into, you know, potentially budding comic fans, uh, getting stuff out there digitally, supporting the industry. Like I just want to, to give it a little bit of a chance. Uh, as far as other Humble Bundle stuff going on at the moment, they have the digital Tabletop 2 bundle right now for some video game versions of tabletop games mm. uh, which has uh terraforming mars in it uh armello for the king and in the top end is slay the spire which is a digital card <gasps> game that is awesome ten dollars for slay the spire it's oh my really god that's price. a huge deal 
that's an awesome price. Oh my and then Lord. there's some other cool games in there too. So yeah, that's something to check out. Uh, last week I mentioned fanatical for the first time. I have a quick little story about that. Fanatical is currently doing an event. It's uh, their bumble. Bu- oh, who's the Charles McFall now? <laughs> fuck boy. Ah, the McFall is spreading. <laughs> it's their bundle blast 2020 where they're releasing a new bundle every four or five hours or something, but they kicked it off with this insane bundle called killer bundle 12. I'm sorry, I'm telling you about it now because I'm just bragging. You can't get it. It's sold out. This bundle was so dope that it sold out. Like it, it came out in the middle of the night and was sold out before everybody was awake here in the United States for the most part. I happen to be awake all night because I have insomnia lately and I grabbed it before it disappeared. But it was $4, 4 bucks to get Sherlock Holmes, The Devil's Daughter, The Surge. The Surge is a sci-fi uh, Dark Souls-like game. Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap, King of Fighters 14, Steam Edition, uh, an SMK 40th Anniversary Collection of all their 80s arcade cab games, and then Atari Vault, a whole bunch of 8600 games. And it was four bucks for all of that, and it sold out. And it, like people were like, I didn't even know a Fanatical bundle could sell out. <laughs> And it did. Uh, so keep an eye on Fanatical if you're a PC gamer. Uh, they've been doing some other, releasing some other more like specialized bundles and stuff. But their bundle prices are so freaking stupid cheap. Uh, they have a Skullgirls complete bundle for a dollar. Um, they have some visual novels for a dollar. They have some that have variable tiers where you can, just like Humble Bundle, you can jump in at different levels and get a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, it's it's a new site that I'm starting to keep my eye on for deals and it, they have a new bundle coming out in about an hour here. Uh, this is Wednesday evening for anybody listening to the podcast. So by the time you hear this, they'll probably still be doing some stuff. So hmm. put that in your, uh, you know, on your, your watch list and, and keep an eye out for those deals. I mentioned last week, I grabbed the bundle for $2. It had two games that I've been watching for a while and I got it for $2. I got that bundle for half the price of what I was expecting to pay for one of them. So you know, because it usually went on sale for around four dollars, and I just kept passing until the right time. And yeah, so bundles, bundles galore. Man, you can get all the laser suit Larrys you could ever want for two dollars. <laughs> that, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, this is have, dope. This is a good, good site. They do have the mystery bundle things going on. Uh, the one that they just released, the I think it's called Apollo one. I saw people in uh, the game bundle subreddit. It's not a super active subreddit, but it gets an active thread when something like this happens. People were posting a ton of Lego games, apparently in the current mix for the Apollo mystery bundle. So if you grab that bundle, there's a chance you could get something like injustice two or uh, some of the, the Lego games over the last few years. So it's not the worst mystery box bundle I've seen, but uh, I think if you're going to do the mystery stuff, you've got to be in the game trading community. Yeah. You've got to be able to swap stuff you have dupes on or whatever, but yeah. So no, I'm going to, Oh, thanks Paul for taking more of my son's money. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. No, that's this website's fucking wonderful. Uh, and I'm going to have to look at it daily. You've got to save, save it. You got to see how much bells are going to cost you, buddy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, We'll find out tomorrow, I guess. Uh, and then the little bit last part of news I got this at the break from my cousin is somebody we don't normally get political here, but since Charles isn't here, I'm going to. Yes. Um, somebody has turned all the Democratic candidates into D and D characters, <laughs> and uh, it's a funny little read. Um, 
with some wonderful animations of old D&D sheets with, uh, with, you know, Bernard the Red or Liz Warren of the North or uh, <laughs> Sir Pete of South Bend. Um, Mike the uh, Magnificent. There was a Klobuchar the, Col- uh, the Conqueror, though. <laughs> I fucking love it so much. Um, so just a silly little thing for you D&D nerds who, uh, who care about U.S. politics. I think that's, uh, I think that's about it. I mean, it's, it's even just kind of funny as a meme. Oh yeah. And the art, you know, you gotta at least look at the art cause the art's pretty, pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> Klobuchar her, in her knowledge tab has clobbering spelled. Clobbering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's good, good, good fun. So, all right. So Paul, why don't you let everybody uh, know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitch and Twitter at SoapboxGSTU. Uh, it is Wednesday evening, so I believe I should stream tomorrow night. I'm sorry I didn't stream last night. It was Nicole and my first anniversary. Hey, so, congrats. So actually, uh, Phil, I'm going to do a quick little reading, watching, playing. We've been binging Lock and Key. Oh, is it good? I've gotten two episodes and I haven't went past it. I, we're enjoying it. Uh, we have one episode left. We're probably going to finish it after the show tonight. So uh, I've been watching that. So yeah. Uh, but tomorrow night I will stream. I don't know what I'm going to stream yet. I haven't figured it out. Uh, but also please check out Bromigos on Sunday night. We should do our triumphant return this week, I believe, as long yep. as the stars align. And uh, more, in, well, not more importantly, but also important, crash test pilots uh you can find nicole and my show crash test pilots where we watch the first episode of television programs uh this past week's episode was sex education from netflix that's a really fun show uh it's definitely worth your time uh and then also our podcast is good too uh but yeah this next week we're going to do a little a little bit of a different one i can't remember the name of it but it's a uh a british japanese like co-production it's kind of interesting. It's on Netflix. Uh, I will plug its name for the show. So you'll catch that there. Chris. You guys can find me on Twitch, the Twitters and the Instagrams all in, a, in, a, in all things wisdom or, you know, in all things wisdom. I like to say it differently because it's spelled differently. Good luck. Um, <laughs> come find me. I don't know how to pimp myself. I'm not good at this part. <laughs> Don't worry, every, we know how to pimp you. <laughs> and every week here. And then you can find me at Imaginary Nomad on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram with a one, and on Twitch. I got into a fight with Instagram over the weekend, and I will not be able to reclaim my original account because there are no people that work at Instagram. It's just a shell company, and I don't have an email or a phone number that works. Uh, you can find me also on this channel every Sunday, like Paul said, for the Bromigos, and on Monday, where two drunks play, we are almost done Diablo, which is great because the season will end next week. So we won't be able to complete our seasonal quests uh, since we started so late. But I haven't told Charles yet, so that should be fun to, to hear me explain how that's going to work. Yeah, that character you rolled, it's garbage now. We have to start over. So that's good. Um, and then over on botched a dnd podcast proudly part of the giant size team up network uh yeah that's oh, about sh- we're we're proudly part of the giant size team up network no we're Are just we? part of it <laughs> what really aren't we mm, i mean we're just part of it i wouldn't say proudly but 
You can always tune in next week to hear Christopher Wisdom say. No, no, I'm saying it this week because no, no, don't you forget. Can... No, no, don't forget Friday. Clone Wars on Disney Plus starts. Ah, yes. February but... 21st, folks. Tune in. There you go. All right. But so... next week I'll say, "Hey, asshole, you didn't let me do my Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. story from last week." All right. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Breaking the Panel is the flagship podcast on the Giant Size Team Up Network. You can support the show at patreon.com slash breaking the panel, and you'll find more of our amazing podcasts at giantsizeteamup.com.